Welcome to the City Church Podcast, where we seek to help others follow Jesus in the everyday things of life. So, over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, diving into uh, uh, a very significant meal uh, in the New Testament called the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, if you think about our current culture, probably the art of gathering for a meal is, uh, is kind of lost upon a lot of people in our culture. Uh, for some of us, it's because we're chasing kids to ball games and the, the best meal is either right before the game or right after the game. It's McDonald's, Sonic, KFC, whatever falls. Probably most of the time, whatever's the easiest thing you can get to on the way home. Um, this is what it normally is for us. Um, so it, you, you lose the art of the meal. Uh, our family, uh, I wish, uh, and me and Allie often talk about we need to do a better job of when we are at home, actually slowing down and cooking a meal and eating around the table. It's a lot of times we've lost so much sense of the art of a gathering for a meal that even at home when we cook a meal, we just... Uh, the kids have their place, and me and Allie will plop down on the couch and watch TV. Um, we recently have been kind of trying to get together on Sundays with some of our friends to have a meal, and, and even in conversation over the last couple of weeks, I was talking with one of them. I was like, like the last couple of months, last few months have been really hard on me just from a mental and emotional perspective, and I told them, like, like and I, I was like, I, I look back now and I realize that a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with was probably because isolation played a major f part in that. Like We hadn't seen some of these friends in like a couple weeks and really spent, or a couple months, really spent time with them. And like just over the last couple weeks, those meals that we gathered around have made a massive difference just in like how I feel. Like, just, like, and even I think I realized after kind of talking about that with one of my friends last week, it's like, wow, I really needed to kind of get that out in the, out in the open. So there's, there's really something significant about gathering for a meal, and I think, I think in our culture we do have somewhat a sense of it because everybody gathers for at least Thanksgiving and Christmas most of the time. So there is still some sense of significance of a meal. So I wanted to kind of just open up with that. What makes gathering around a meal um, significant and maybe create some of those uh, memories that we cherish uh, for a lifetime? And I'm one of the world's worst when I gather around a meal because I grew up in a very large family of stepbrothers and stepsisters, and we didn't have a whole lot of money, so when the food hit the table, you ate fast, because if there was going to be any opportunity at seconds or more food, you had to get done first. So I'm, I'm bad about when I'm eating, I don't talk. And it's part of growing up in a family where, hey, you eat and you get what you can get, because when it's gone, it's gone. And I my my mom and stepdad were always very firm on that. When it's gone, it's gone because there's no snacks. It's that's the meal, and, and we and something especially now that my mom's been gone for a couple of years that I really cherish looking back in life was that every meal growing up when we were at home was at the table together, uh, and things that as a teenager that I didn't really 
probably val- I valued them, but nowhere near as much as I do now. Really significantly look back, looking back, changed my changed my life in a very significant way. We always open in a time of prayer. There was normally conversation around scripture. Normally, it was scripture that my stepdad had studied that morning because every morning before he would go to work and most of the time before we would get out of bed, he would have had his time alone with Jesus and a uh, peanut butter and honey sandwich and a cup of coffee. Uh, Normally, we would be getting up as he's getting ready to kind of finish up. So even even in the evenings, our conversation was not just about how our day had been, but was centered around the scripture that he had studied um, that morning. And it was his way of pouring into our family. And just part of what I shared a while ago, just having meals with our friends, I think there's something about gathering around the table for a meal and conversation and all those things that brings healing uh, in our life. Maybe it's sometimes it's not healing that we really recognize that we need, but I believe it brings that. And then as we, as we go through these next few weeks, I think it's important as you look at the Gospels that you find that meals are a significant part of, of the Gospels and Jesus' uh, life and ministry. Um, very often, if you read through the Gospels, very often you find Jesus is, is, is gathered around at somebody's house. We don't, a lot of times we don't get the intimate details of what happens there, but you have stories of like Zacchaeus who come, his whole family comes to faith in Jesus. So we know like when Jesus meets with the tax collectors, we see how the disciples come back. We we see the impact, though we may not see the intimate details of those those meals that he had with people. We see the impact that those meals had on people's lives. And as you uh, look at Jewish, a lot of Jewish tradition and celebrations are um, revolve around feasts and celebrations around meals as you study uh, Jewish culture. So there's, and a lot of those meals and those events commemorate something significant with Jewish history. Uh, and, and as we look into uh, the Last Supper, which and one thing I found very interesting this week, I uh, is that there is a massive debate around whether or not the uh, Last Supper was a Passover meal. Um, I, I read through a whole lot of information, and I'm like, yeah, I, I still honestly don't get the side of the uh, it not being a Passover meal. And I ultimately come to this conclusion. There's a lot of information, way more than we could even dive into this morning regarding that. But I, I, I really kind of come back to the implications of Scripture when you talk about um, the Passover meal. One thing, one thing about meals, and I think this is true of any culture, is meals often... Uh, demonstrate the social order within a culture, such as who belongs on the inside and who of the circle, while also, I don't think it's ever intended, it also alienates those on 
the outside. And I think that's the, the significant part about that is, is though culture traditionally in meals maybe kind of creates that unintended social order, uh, we do find that when Jesus comes in and he begins gathering pe- with people and he begins having meals in people's homes, that it disrupts that culture. Uh, and we see that in a couple of texts. There's other, there's other texts, but we're going to look at a couple of them. Luke chapter 5, verse 29 and 30 says, Later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum. Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Uh, So while we... I don't think we ever intend to, when we gather with meals, but if, we're, if we evaluate when we gather with meals, what do we most of the time do? We gather with people we, we love and we're, we're compassionate about, that we have things in common. I, I, said, I don't think most of the time anybody intends necessarily to leave people on the outside looking in. Um, but unintentionally there I think there is a a part of culture that hey when we gather for a meal we're bringing in people that we know and Jesus was often found at least accused by the religious people of the day that hey why are you eating with with them why why are you not eating with with us so Jesus and the and these meals that Jesus had, if pretty much kind of initiate the whole uh, the judgment and the disgruntlement with the the religious people of the day, that would eventually lead to, as Jesus continues his life and ministry, being the things that one of the things that eventually leads to them wanting to take his life. It was just kind of the beginning of how Jesus would continue to disrupt the religious culture. Um, While the meals maybe of the Pharisees and religious elite express who the insiders and outsiders were based probably on moral and religious ideals, beliefs, Jesus demonstrated the grace of God and the open invitation even for the least of these to partake in the meal and fellowship with God. Um, As we look into, we're going to read a lot of scripture as we look into the Last Supper. We're going to start in Luke chapter 22. um, And just kind of look at these conversations in the gospel and uh, just see what implications we find here within the Scripture. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, 
Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room? Where can I eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So some of the implications we see from Scripture and... uh, one of the reasons, like, as I studied this this last week and was kind of caught off by the whole idea of it not being, the possibility of it not being a Passover meal, was you see here um, that Jesus says, go and prepare the Passover meal. So my the implication I get from Scripture, um, I, I I believe, is that Jesus says it's a, it's a Passover meal, which... We, we understand the Passover is a meal that is celebrated by the Jewish people going back to uh, when God rescued the people out of, out of Egypt. And, uh, and he established that path. And the people, uh, he had sent, the people had killed the lamb, put the blood on the door, and God's way of rescuing the people out of Israel, Pharaoh finally saying, hey, get, get out of here, um, was when... God caused the Spirit to pass over the people of Israel and all the firstborn of the city of Egypt were were killed if the blood of the Lamb was not 
on the door. So this that that and then quickly after that, the first Passover meal took place, and it is a very significant part of history as we study the Lord Last Supper and up to the crucifixion of Jesus. That's leading into the Passover week. So there's there is actually a lot going on during the time frame of the Last Supper. It's a very significant event for the nation of Israel, aside from the fact that uh, as we look back in history, we see also uh, Jesus establishing a new covenant and Jesus becoming the Passover lamb for all people that would eventually believe in Jesus. Uh, so there's a lot There's a lot going on, um, but that, that, that to me is, that's one of the implications we see in scriptures that Jesus says it's a... Uh, Passover meal. Um, we also see that it is all going to be Jesus' final and kind of his farewell meal with uh, with the disciples. Uh, it's also a meal of thanksgiving, as we see him. They take and they give thanks for the bread and for the uh, for the wine, and, and they remember as because these things are going to represent his shed blood, his broken. His broken body. We see it's also uh, a prophetic meal because Jesus says, not only say this is my last meal, he says, I won't eat with you or drink with you again until the fulfillment of my kingdom. Um, and, and along with the uh, the giving thanks for the blood and for the for the bread and the wine, it, we see it's a it's a covenant meal. It's an establishment of the new covenant. Uh, and then it's also included there with it being prophetic. It's, it's a messianic-type banquet meal, again, pointing to uh, a greater banquet, a, a wedding banquet that takes place. If you read in Revelations 19, you see that that meal is when uh, we gather together for what is called the great wedding banquet where we the we the people and the children of God are gathered around the table once again to eat and drink at that point with our savior um so there there there's a lot in play and we'll probably discuss in a lot more detail over uh, the next few weeks but i want to also turn into and point out a couple of other things if you look in john starting in john chapter 13 uh, we see two other things that I thought were rather significant. Uh, is one that is that it's a it's a fellowship meal, and it's also a meal of acceptance. Uh, I and th- start. Let's read starting in verse eighteen of John chapter thirteen. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned him to ask, who's he talking about? 
So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, and told him, Hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, so you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, and you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. The significant part of this is that all of this is taking place within the context of this last supper. Um, a lot of times we when we look at the we look at the last supper and we look at communion, we think about uh, the giving of the bread, the blessing the bread, and the taking the taking of the drink. We 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 focus a lot on that, and really there there is a lot that happens and a lot that takes place when Jesus meets with his disciples in this room for the last supper, the last meal. Um, and, and I found it something that maybe we don't consider a lot is the fact that Jesus's betrayer was there um, for this meal. He was, he was invited in the room and we don't get the full context of how long he was there. But um, if you read the scripture before um, there, you see that he was there that part of this, this time Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Um, and part of this Last Supper, this time of fellowship and the gathering around this meal, um, the betrayer's there, and Jesus serves the betrayer. Which I, I believe points even more to that the whole idea that Jesus... The, the meal and this gathering, this great wedding banquet that's going to take place uh, at the end of time is that all people are, it's an open invitation that anyone who places their faith in Jesus can be a part of that, that banquet. And Jesus to, went to the extent to prove that by even his betrayer uh, is there at the Last Supper uh, of course, we see that in that, Jesus shows who the betrayer is. But even then, the disciples didn't know until, until moments later after, after the meal is over. Um, but we also find 
the one that Jesus predicts will deny him. I I, I kind of, as I was thinking about this, that, you know, like we all, we all have those times where we, all the family gets together around the table. Uh, and some of us can probably think of those people that might kind of fit that, the, the, the family member that kind of just shows up and the rest of the time, the rest of the year, the family's kind of, you know, they're not trustworthy. We've probably all got that person in our family. I've got that person in my family that might kind of fall in that role of, of the of the Judas. Maybe they ain't completely betrayed the family, but nobody really, really trusts them. We're not going to tell them anything. Not at least not anything we don't want people to, to know. Um, then there's Peter. Like Peter, initially it kind of looks good. Peter stands up and said, "No, God, I'm going to." I, I'm going to defend you. I will die for you. I'll do anything for you. And Jesus is like, die for me? Really? No, you're, you're, you're going to deny me three times. Of course, the truth be known is that in the moments that Judas would eventually betray Jesus, Jesus had even talked about that, hey, all of you will eventually scatter and leave me alone to die. It's easy sometimes to look at the disciples and when Jesus gathers to them, to look at them as these great, powerful heroes of the faith. The truth is, is there are a lot of people just like us. Now, there's times in life that, that I don't feel like I belong at the table. There's those seasons in life where things happen, and I don't feel like I belong at the table of Jesus. You know, there's, there's times I feel like Maybe I've betrayed God, and I don't belong. I don't belong at the table. If I was to be invited into this room to have a meal with Jesus, I would be like, or I, I would, I, I would probably more often than not be like Peter when Jesus goes to wash his feet. Like, you're not washing my feet, man. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't let you wash my feet. I don't deserve that. There's times that we're probably like Peter where we stand up and say, God, I, I would die for you. Our, our, we, we have this idea that our faith is strong and we would do absolutely anything for God. We're, we're quote-unquote fearless that nothing can tear our faith down. Only to find out that eventually we will deny him. Guess what? We're still welcome at the table. I think one of the beauties of looking at the Last Supper, and especially when you read John 13, 14, 
and into uh, verse 15 as he's kind of, some of the events that are taking place that if you just read the context of the other Gospels, you might not catch that this is all part of this time frame of the, them meeting together for the Last Supper. Um, is that there's this beauty to God's kingdom uh, and the gospel that says there's an open invitation for all people to the table. That Jesus was going to die for the betrayer. Jesus was going to die not, was going to die for the denier, that Jesus was going to die for those other disciples, even though they would scatter and leave him alone. Those are welcome at the table. That Jesus, even as he would get, as he would be prepared to die, would even eventually say to those who were nailing to the cross, they don't know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So at this last supper, I think we see this very beautiful picture of forgiveness. That even, even these people that didn't believe Jesus should wash their feet, he served them anyway. That as they prepared to take the bread and, and to drink the, the wine, that even though at that point Jesus tells Judas, hey, I know, I know what's going on. And, and he tells him to, hey, go do what you, what you have to do. Is that even in that moment, Judas was still there. Jesus knew that the betrayer was there. That even though Peter would deny Jesus three times before the, before the rooster would crow, you, you read in John 14 that Jesus begins to tell him, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. That I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And and he goes on in that in that to say that hey, it's better that I don't stay here, but I go because I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send something that's even better that can be with all of you. And then he talks about him being the true vine. I think I think there's a lot to unpack when you begin to look at the Last Supper. And, and, and I believe over the next few weeks as we continue to unpack that and we, we look at things that, that, man, 
the beauty of the gospel just shines through uh, those texts. And, and even, and we've got some special things coming up that we're still working out the details of, but as I look at the story and as I begin to dive in and just kind of looking on the outside in as we get ready to dive deeper into the Lord's Supper, I, I just can't help but think about you know, there's, there's things in my life that I deal with that often, I, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I don't feel like I belong at the table of God. We, we talked this morning a little bit about uh, people that believe they have to work for salvation, this this gift that ultimately is free to all of us. And like, you know, I I'm not one of those that believe I have to earn earn it. I, I believe that I believe that it is a free gift. I believe that I've received it, but how often in life do I live in such a way that hey I've got to do do this, this and this in order to to really garnish the approval of God. And I see in this that Jesus, yeah, you're going to die. You're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. But don't, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I think in, in my time, in my seasons of doubt, in my seasons where maybe I've betrayed God, I'm still welcome at the table. And I think about the desire of our church. I believe I, I believe our, the desire of our church is that this is a place that's open for everyone in the city, even the even the least of these, even those that betray God, even those that deny Him. That this is a place that this is a table that God's well inviting people to the table. And I think as we study this text, as we celebrate communion and as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave, it's a reminder to me that, hey, I'm invited to the table. And what and and the grace and the love that that Hesed love that we talked about last week and we those of us that were in group Wednesday night that we talked about that that unconditional, unending, unfailing love that we can't really even begin to describe or translate into our language, that love that is really honestly unfathomable for us opens up a seat at the table. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for his body that was was beaten. Thankful for his blood that was shed. That has opened my seat at the table. That 
when I read this text and he says, don't be troubled. I've gone to prepare a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I got a place. Think about my, my, my baby girl. From the moment I knew I was going to be a father, the, the, the prayer of my, my heart has been that one day my kids would, become, would place their faith in Jesus. Remember the, when I think about this, I think about the first, one of the first people I ever got to share the gospel with sitting in prison, and I come to probably the first real like reality that God loves everybody. Was when I look eye to eye with this prisoner that's confessing his sin to me, and he is a child molester, and it's like, this guy wants to place his faith in Jesus, and there's like this, I'm going to be honest with you. The, my initial like inward reaction was kind of like, there's no way that God can save this man. But who am I? If God opens a seat at the table for that man, to prevent him from coming to the table. Ultimately, that's between him and God, but at that moment, who am I to question the faith that my man maybe has? Because Jesus died. If I... If I if I believe Jesus died for me, I have to believe he died for exactly who he said he died for, and that's for everyone. Just as much as he died for my baby girl, he died for that man. And he died for us. And we're welcome at the table. I have everybody stand and we're going to this morning we're going to partake in uh, communion um, I've asked Stephen to have some music playing so that we can uh, allow the band and the, the people in the back to, uh, to p- participate we're going to get the, the teachers and the kids uh out of the bag, but I hope that this morning can be a reflection of the fact that that we're invited to the table and that Jesus allowed his body to be beaten and his blood to be shared so that we could receive that, that free gift of salvation, that we could be partakers in this new covenant that would allow us to have a place at his at his table not just in this moment of remembrance but in in that moment where all the children of God will gather for the first time think about that for the first time in eternity when we all gather around that table at the wedding banquet, all believers in unison 
will be a part of the meal. And be, and in that moment, it will be a celebration of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And I think about the text in Revelation where it says, the multitudes cried out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. I invite you to come this morning and take a cup of juice and bread and as we partake in this moment this morning of remembering what Christ has done for us this morning. This podcast was produced by Illuminate Media Group. Any music and sound effects are licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you for listening and we will see you on the next episode.